Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Vaughn, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Morgan McClure. What's happening, everybody? And Mr. Fantastic Aaron Mansfield. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, uh, we're continuing our conversation on the church today, and specifically, we're going to be talking about the role of every believer in the body of Christ. So we hope you stay around. All right, guys. Well, how's your week been going so far? Well, it's been really good. I just got back from a short trip down to Georgia to visit some family, um, and it was really good. Lots of lots of traveling, so a little bit, little. Hey, you're bit traveling dragging. a lot this month. I mean, yeah, you I mean, just came the, back from a trip, and I think you're heading back down, aren't you, for another yeah, trip? Yeah, this weekend I am flying out to Arizona wow, to be nice. with my sister and my brother-in-law with his family for Thanksgiving. Very so, good, really national fun. traveler, you. I know this will be national the farthest Geographic. west I have ever been. So, are you going this, to the Grand Canyon? Yes, I'm at so night? excited. Uh, I don't, I don't think so at night. Probably. It's pretty intense at night. Well, have you, you been out there at night? No. I'm just, <laughs> so how do you know? Like, just a guess. Like, can you see <laughs> okay. much at night? I was like, um, I didn't even know that was a thing. So I imagine know, the moon being full. You can see it. if it, And well, you're, going, you're going at prime time. Well, we're I don't right know about at a Arizona. New moon, I don't know about Arizona. It's going to flip here in Virginia in the next like week and a half, and we're going to get us a good moon. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. But anyway. it'll be really fun. I'm super excited. I just love flying. I could fly like all day long. Just... Are you going by yourself? Yeah. Ooh, that'll be fun. Yeah, it's no big deal. I mean, my first flight by myself was across the ocean to Europe. So yeah, not I, a big deal. I hear that. I hear that. Across the ocean flights are fun. They're the best. I had an interesting week. Hey, what is the longest week? flight you've ever oh, been me? on? Um, yeah. Newark to New Delhi, India, give or take 15 and a half hours, 16 hours Shoot. straight. Uh, it was, I think it was 15. It was long. disgusting. I, <laughs> I had one one time from LAX to Brisbane, Australia, and it was a 19 I've done hour that flight. Oh. I've done, it was close to 19, I've 18 or 19. The, I've done the LA, um, the LA to Brisbane flight. That's a rough Quantus. flight. Did yeah. you fly on Qantas? I don't, yeah, Qantas, yeah. Tough flight, man. So we lucked out on ours, and there was like a row open on one of the seats that my family had had, because I was going with my family. Uh-huh. And so we rotated every three hours who oh, would get to lay nice. down. And so you could sleep by just laying down, because we were in economy. So, I mean... You know, economy is kind of like cattle class and like the <laughs> train world, you know, it's like her all class. in there and just get them, get them to behave. Oh my gosh. And so, but that's what we did. Throw and that peanuts helped. at you. But like if that, if that hadn't happened, like on the flight to India, we didn't have that. And there was like a kid behind us Good and night. he was crying. And so like, yeah, when you're talking flights that no, long. I'm not laughing about the kid. I'm laughing about the cattle class. Man. Yeah. I, was like, I won't get over that for a while. Flights that long though. It's like you fall asleep. And you, you sleep a full normal cycle and you wake up and, and you still, still have the whole time left. Yep. Right. And you're no. like, hmm. Yeah, I haven't had one quite like that <laughs> you, yet, but it'll come eventually. You watch a lot of movies on those type of flights. Mm-hmm. Read entire books <laughs> on that kind of flight. Write entire books. Yeah, that's that's also true. <laughs> write, write a novel. You got the time. Why not? Well, guys, we're thrilled to have you with us this morning as we're continuing our conversation about what is the church. And uh, really, we're just kind of following where we were uh, the last couple of weeks by talking about uh, leadership in the body of Christ. We talked about the role of women in the body of Christ. And really, today, we're talking about 
the responsibility of every person uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, we're just talking about what is life like in the body. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about early on that there is a big fundamental difference between coming to church and being the church. And we've been talking about how the church is not first and foremost uh, a building. It is it is the people. It is the people. It is the people who are gathering together. Uh, it's the assembly. That word ecclesia simply means a gathering, an assembly. And so it, it right off the top, it, it's, it's showing that there's this collectiveness, this gathering, this community. And, um, and, and today we're talking about how everyone in the body of Christ who is in Christ is, is not a spectator, but they are a participant actively in the body of Christ. And uh, there's a number of places in the Bible that talk about this, uh, but we'll probably be in the four main uh, spiritual gift passages, which is, uh, I always think about this with uh, two twelves and two fours. I think about Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, yep. and I yep. think about Ephesians 4 and First uh, Peter 4. And so yeah. all of those places are going to be probably places we might be referencing today. And um, But what we're really talking about is what does it mean to belong to the body of Christ. So if somebody is saved and they have been born again into God's family, what does it mean that they are now in Christ? Well, it means that you are a member of the body of Christ. And I love how, um, not Ephesians, uh, Romans 12 puts it, talks about how you have all been given this grace, you know, and he says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we through many are one body in Christ. And so it's this, you're individually in Christ, but by being individually in Christ, you're in a body that's in Christ, right? So right. it's all wrapped up in Christ. And it's a beautiful picture of the fact that we all have equal standing. And I think that that's a confusion sometimes is people will be like, well, you know, like that's just for super Christians. But if you read Romans 12, the, what I love about that passage is the whole foundation of Romans 12 is based on the fact of what does it mean to be in the body of Christ? What does it mean to serve? What does all these gifts come from? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 3. I appeal mm -hmm. to you, therefore, brothers, that you are a living sacrifice. And this is your spiritual worship. This is where it all starts. This is what everybody has to do. Be a living sacrifice. Be transformed. And then, hey... Now that you're living out what it means to be in Christ, let me explain to you exactly the ramifications of what that has on your life. And he goes through Romans 12 and does that. Yes, certainly. I mean, because the first half of the book of Romans, really, Paul is outlining what does it mean to be in Christ? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's talking about in chapter six, seven and eight, uh, having been born again into uh, in Christ. Now there's uh, what does that mean? Well, that that that. That understanding of being united with Christ fundamentally shapes the way we view our life. But then yeah. in chapter 12, you're right, he shifts from that. And he begins really the rest of the book is a book full of application, full of of commands. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, yeah, there is something we are to be, but then there are also things as a Christian we are to do. Mm -hmm. And and but one does precede the other, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. wouldn't you say that, Morgan? I mean Oh uh, yeah, for uh, sure. And I think one one thing that helps uh frame this, I think one of my it's a rather short description, but it's the one that always first comes to mind when I think of being in Christ, and it's in Colossians three, verse three. It says for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And so um, this is like you were saying, like who we are supposed to be. We have to understand that before we understand what we are to do as now this new being. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. That's right. I love that you're referencing um, Colossians there where it says when you died. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that makes me think of Romans 6, of which... We're in the same book when we were just talking about Romans 12, but Romans 6 is literally, I believe, one of the foundational passages of what the Christian life means. What does it mean to be in Christ? And um, Because if we don't understand that... We don't get it. We're not going to get the rest of it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And we got to understand that as a Christian, to be in Christ means that when Christ died, I died. I died. Mm-hmm. My death was hidden, right? Mm-hmm. In Christ. I it happened around it happened in Christ. What he did now carries over to me, right? Mm-hmm. And Romans six talks about it beautifully. It talks about the fact that you don't die daily, you die once. Because he even says it. He says, Did Christ die multiple times? No, he died once. And so you die once. And just as he rose again, you rose again. So right. generally a lot of times when we talk about being in Christ, you might hear a lot of preaching that talks about, you know, well, you gotta die. Well, and there's a, where do they come, where, where does that come from? It comes from Romans 12, mm-hmm. right? A misunderstanding of that understanding of that verse uh, where, where Paul talks about, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So when people hear that living sacrifice, that's where they get you this. Got, but it, the, it, the know, problem is yeah. he doesn't leave it there. No. Just like you have to die, which you aren't even the one dying. Your death is in Christ and it happens through Christ. But through that death in Christ, you also rise again to walk in newness of life, which I interpret that verse as being the life of Christ in me. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the living sacrifice. That's the living sacrifice part. And so if we don't start there, we end up, we can end up in really weird, strange places and we can have a complete misconception of what's going on, but it all begins with that foundation in mind. Yeah, because I think what you're showing is you're going back to a moment in time that something happened in the life of a person, and that is they died to their way of life, and they were resting and trusting in and believing and confessing Jesus as Lord, and they were born again, and uh, they were born into his body. They, they, they united with Christ, and even as Paul outlines it in Romans 6 with baptism, you know, we were buried with Christ in baptism, and we were raised to walk a newness of life. And so all of Romans 6, 7, and 8 does precede Romans 12. You know, often people jump in at Romans 12 without laying the foundation earlier. And Paul does that. He lays this foundation that having uh, died and been buried with Christ, we have now been raised to walk in a new life. And Paul says, so that new life should be one that is holy, acceptable to God. And he says, this is your spiritual worship. I mean, it's your reasonable service. This is uh, what it means now, uh, now that we are a Christian. So let me ask you all this question. I mean, do you think the understanding about being in Christ is maybe something that is very misunderstood uh, today? I think it can be a bit ambiguous, right? No, I think so. I Well, I, yeah. I believe yeah. it is. Um for for a, a good part of my life, I believed what it meant to be in Christ was that, you know, yes, it happens through being born again, but like I have to somehow um, die to myself and kill my desires every day and be in Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like that mantra. Mm-hmm. And I never understood the fact that what Christ did for me was nothing of me. 
and that I don't have to die every day to my desires. That happened when Christ died. And so if I appropriate the power of his resurrection and the power of his death in my life daily, and I take hold and submit myself to his power, that's a positive. And then also for a long time too, I never really considered the fact of the American cultural, the way that we have made a distinction between ministry and service. Mm. Um, I think our culture has done a very poor um, job of defining what, um, what those things mean. And I think that to be in Christ means that you are a minister. Every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is a minister of God. And we often, you know, use that for the minister, you know, (laughs) hello, minister uh, Mansfield or minister Vaughn, you know, or reverend, but in a sense, every Christian is a minister in that sense. Certainly. And uh, to be in Christ is to be a ministry. I mean, he says that in Romans 12, you all are all members of one body and you might not have the same function, but you're still one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And then he jumps into gifts and so on, talking about how every person's gifted differently and that affects your function. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, but to be in Christ is to be a minister. Yeah. yeah, and and that's a gift that God has given. Notice he says in verse 3, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Uh, for just as one body, you said, Stephen, has many members, and the members don't all have the same function. So we, uh, though many, are one in Christ and individually members of one another. So you see here that God has invested his church uh, with really this greatest investment, and that is gifts that he has given them. Uh, in Corinthians, Paul says we were all empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so this gospel, this understanding, this good news that I have died with Christ and I have been raised to walk a new life in Christ, that whole gospel is one of grace, right? It's one of God's gift. God gave salvation. And and now life in his body is a Really, it's an overflow of that. It's an overflow of that grace. And and having received God's grace for salvation, uh, we also receive God's gifts to serve. And and that is completely modeled after who Jesus is. I mean, even in Mark chapter 10, the Bible says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve mm-hmm. and to give his life a ransom for many. So you know, we have to ask the question before we even think about ministry in the body of Christ, how did Jesus model that kind of ministry? Well, Jesus did it by being a servant and being uh, personal and among people. If you look at Jesus, uh, his lifestyle of um, ministry, of ministering to others, uh, it was it was pretty much always personal. He had a personal aspect, even with people that he was a one-time interaction with he was still very personable and uh he also met their spiritual need he if you look at how jesus ministered he would question always always whether it was at the end the beginning the middle there's always going to be a question of their spiritual state or tying it into a spiritual need or lesson in the disciples that he had Everything was based on a spiritual foundation, Mm -hmm. but you also can't discount the fact that Jesus did do physical ministry Mm -hmm. Um, and it flowed out of this and was built up on this foundation of spiritual ministry, but he did meet physical needs. Now I would push back towards the modern 
American mantra um, that uh, ministry is always physical Mm -hmm. and we always have to be meeting physical needs. And they always reference, well, Jesus met physical needs. And you look at all the passages and okay, fair. But also look at always how he ties it into some spiritual lesson, some meeting some spiritual need or something that's going on around. And you're going to see that there's a foundation of spiritual need and Mm -hmm. meeting the questions that man answers inside his own heart. That was Jesus's goal. And yes, he's going to help people. Yes, he's going to feed people. Awesome. Should you do that? Great. But he's going to go for the heart of the matter. And he did all of this, this personal and meeting spiritual and physical needs. He did all of this, though, through a servant leadership influencing type of role. And um, he was the servant of all. Mm -hmm. And he uh, pictures that when he washes the disciples' feet, right? Or even just the fact that he, uh, if you want to go to Philippians, he, um, he took of himself and he if you want it, depending on how you interpret the word there, he limited some of his power, some of his role, or he, he set aside some of his privilege. That's a good uh, interpretation. I believe of that. And he came to this earth and submitted himself to a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God. Right. And that is an act of service in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't have to do that. And so if you look at the lifestyle of Jesus, it is always, always going to be a personal style of ministry. Yes. Loving. Yes. He's going to meet the spiritual and physical needs, but it also happens through service. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things that, uh, I mean, you think about what kind of service that Jesus was pushing back against and during his entire ministry. And that was the empty lifestyle of, you know, spiritual achievement, quote unquote, with the Pharisees, you know, they were doing all of these things. And Jesus said, you know, like on the outside, you know, they're, they're clean vessels or whatever, but on the inside, like they're dirty or they're, they're whitewashed tombs, you know, full of dead people's bones. Like mm. that was the kind of the service that people had in their minds. Like, oh, I will do all these things and I will reach this level in the eyes of others to, um, re- to, re- to achieve something and to receive achieve something. something yeah. Right. And so, and then in Mark 10, like what you had referenced a couple of verses above um, verse 45, where he says, for even the son of man did not come to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's jumping back against what James and John were trying to say is like, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? And he's like, you know, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, Lord over them and those who in who are in high positions act as tyrants over them, but it's not so among you, you know? Mm. And he's saying, whoever wants to be great has to be a servant. And so that's just, that's the kind of mindset he was pushing against and still one that I think we can get in today. That's super, that's super good, Morgan. I I really like that you brought that out. I, I believe Jesus here, what he pictures is that no matter who you are, He's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's let's restate the fact here. This is Jesus. This is God. God of the universe. So no matter who you are in the body of Christ, you're a minister. You're a servant. You are, you are to be ministering to others. You have a responsibility and a role. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you are, are, have a relationship with Christ and you're a part of his body, his church, you have a role. You have a responsibility. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. There's no excuses. Yeah. There's no. There's no. Take well, and backs. it's not. It's it, not it's something just, you have to drum up yourself. Like, yeah. as you are a part of Christ's body, He is now gifting you with exactly spiritual Which gifts. Which I think is a sure. great transition to ask the question. Then, so I think we've really hit like who is to be ministering, right? I think we've hit that. Like well, every we're laying, Christian, we're laying the foundation that Jesus 
in who he is modeled this. Yes. Right? And so, and you're hitting on the fact that Jesus ministered holistically. I mean, he met physical needs and spiritual needs, and he ministered to people as people, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, that's this one thing I find in the Gospels that strikes me about Jesus's ministry is when he, when he relates to people, he, he does so in a way that he, he, he he remembers who they are. I mm-hmm. mean, first and foremost, they're they're people. I mean, when he's dealing with a father that's lost his daughter, or he's dealing with a blind man, or mm-hmm. a, a a mute man, or or any of these other things, like you you see Jesus just relating to them in different ways that really show his heart to love them as people. And I think about all the ways that Jesus served. I mean, he served selflessly and generously and faithfully. And I mean, there's so many words yeah. you can use to describe his ministry. Well, that is the foundation for how we in Christ are to minister, because it's not like I think what often happens is the understanding that ministry, what we're going to talk about in a minute, is just, oh, well, I'll choose this. I'll do that. It's whatever is best and convenient for me. And that was never uh, mm-hmm. Christ's attitude. Christ's attitude was always one of what is best for others. Yeah. And as he came selflessly uh, for others, and as he ministered and served other people, it was always with this understanding that he was giving something away. And so in Christ, like what Paul's arguing in Romans 12 is like, hey, listen, because now you're in him, mm-hmm. that has changed your whole understanding about how you're to relate to people and how you're to serve people. And so what we're talking about today, life in the body, is really just the overflow of understanding what it means to be in Christ. If people don't understand that, then they will not rightly, I guess, execute, live out this type of of ministry, service, gifts that we're talking about. Hmm. Because unless you have the first, that Hmm. foundation, you're not going to understand the other. Yeah. So my question then is... I have a lot of what questions then, Um, because we've been mentioning things like spiritual gift. We've been ministering things like minister and ministry. So how does it all work together? I have like the what question. We talked a lot about like the role of the believer and how everybody's in Christ. But can we start switching more into now, like, what does this actually mean? And I think a great place to start would be like this term spiritual gift. Um, so like, what do y'all got? Can we define this, uh, term here? DYT mm. section? Morgan's, Morgan's our DYT. Uh, did she bring her? What DYT do you got for me? Today? You got anything for me, Morgan? <laughs> or do we need to, uh, give this one to Aaron? What do you think? Well, I'll take a stab at it and okay. then he can just fill in on what I missed. Okay. How does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, spiritual gifts is the one that we are defining, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So spiritual gifts, that's, that is the abilities and the, um, I mean, I don't know. You know, you hate defining a word like with the word and the definition. <laughs> the abilities but and, gifts. And, and gifts. But it is what is given to the believer as as their, you know, membership in Christ, you know, becomes like real. So it's not it's it's something aside from like a natural born talent or something that they've, you know, just kind of I don't know, Aaron, I think you might need to take it because I'm getting in my head. No, 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 no. So okay, so there's I think okay, I'll just we're all over the place here for a second. Let me, okay, I'll say this. When we talk about spiritual gifts, I think it's often done in one of two ways. Either one way is it is not understood and it's not even understood well in the modern church. And so it's just disregarded or it's lumped into some type of, you know, charismatic expression of, of tongues. And so we, there's just a, a really a devaluing of what spiritual gifts are. And then I think you can also be on the other spectrum where people are obsessed with it mm-hmm. and they spend all of their time, uh, 
you know, working through, well, what does this look like? Like it's some spiritual key that you have to unlock. I have to find my gift. It's like <laughs> right. they treat it like national treasure, like the movie. And they like have to <laughs> yeah. find this roadmap to find their gift. And they're like, oh, sure. Yeah, no. <laughs> no one of the best ways to understand it is, I mean, really one of the best definitions I can come to is by what the purpose of a spiritual gift. And these are things that are given for the edification of the body, which is the building up of the body of Christ. Okay. Glory of God edification. Glory of God, edification mm-hmm. of the body. I mean, that's it's pretty straightforward. Well, let's just let's deal with Romans because I think that we could go to a number of places. Um, but Romans chapter twelve, beginning in verse four, uh, Paul says, "For as in one body, he's talking about the body of Christ, we have many members, and he's talking about individuals." And the members, notice, do not all have the same function. And when he's talking about function, he's talking about the way that they serve, the way that they're involved. He says in verse 5, so we, though many, are one in Christ and individually members of one another. So already what Paul's doing in Romans 12, he's going to do it again in in 1 Corinthians 12. He's using this analogy, this picture of the body, and, um, and he's showing that Christ is the head of the church, all right? So this is God's church. Christ is the head of the church, and individually we are members one of another. And so just as a body has a number of parts for it to function well, so too uh, in the body of Christ. And so as we live for God's glory and as we build up one another uh, and edify one another in the faith, we do so in this understanding of, of a body. And so he says that in verse 6, so having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And what I see there in, in Romans 12 is a couple things. One, the gifts, the spiritual gifts have been given to us by whom? God. By God. All right. Through grace. (laughs) (laughs) Through grace by by the spirit. Right. So there's these gifts that have been given to us and they've been given to us through uh, the Holy Spirit. So so, you would say, just clarifying, you would say that the gifts are given at the moment of being born again. Ooh, that's a good question. Are we saying like that it comes a little bit after that or... Hmm. Interesting. So, okay. So I'm just curious. No, I think it's funny you say that because there's a lot of disagreement about this. I, okay. Going back to the Bible for a second. Let, let me explain how I, how I come to this understanding. Paul, Paul is arguing there that um, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Right. And, and it's really un, uh, back up in verse uh, three, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned So God's the one who has given them, and ultimately they are for his body. Now, there are are some understandings of spiritual gifts that basically view it like a a spiritual gift dispensary, and the Spirit of God gives one unique gift to every person, and every person has at least one of them. Um, However, when I look at 1 Corinthians and I look at Romans, like, I don't see that there. What I see is that God measures it out. He, he portions it out. And the easiest thing I think about is uh, y'all seem like a, a painter with uh, their paint palette, you know, mm-hmm. with all the different colors. Well, it's like you look in the Bible and there is no one passage of like conclusive spiritual gifts. I mean, uh, different passages, the four main passages we talked about today, don't include all of them or some of them others. And so um, what I see in the Bible is that there's these dominant gifts in the body of Christ, um, the colors of them, if you were, gifts of serving, gifts of teaching, gifts of exhortation, uh, gifts of mercy, um, all of those different types of gifts are like, you know, a dominant color. 
And as God has created every person individually and uniquely, uh, God has assigned and apportioned uh, to each person uh, varying gifts. And so I think about it like a portrait, like God, when God made each person, uh, you know, he pulled from different colors and, and some are more dominant areas and some are less dominant in those things. Um, you know, just like for my wife and I, for instance, like we, we joke all the time. My wife has a lot of mercy. My wife is a merciful person. If you know my wife, I mean, she's a very merciful, I have none. Like I just, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not, I'm not, and I I grow in that. I need to work in that, you know, but like, once again, like, you know, if if you take one of the spiritual inventory tests, you know, it's like, (laughs) man, mercy's at the bottom of the list for me. All right. And, uh, but notice God has done this in a way that he has measured it out and he's assigned it. And so what do I, what do I see about that? Well, it makes me realize that um, certainly they are given by God and they are empowered, I think, through Mm -hmm. the spirit. Mm -hmm. So the spirit of God is the one who empowers them. However, I would go back, I think a little bit and just think about, you know, the order of the world and the way that God had created mankind. And I think there is this element, even in Genesis one and two, that you see Adam and Eve flourishing in this perfection of who they are in who God created them to be. And I think once again, being who we are in Christ is not some mystical understanding of how do I get to that, but it's really just going back, living in the way that God had intended mm-hmm. uh, mankind to live, like like live in that unity and that perfection. And so I see spiritual gifts as something that God gives, the Spirit of God empowers um, and I see them as not these rigid categories of giftedness, but I see them as something that, um, as, and as, just as I read the Bible, uh, kind of the Spirit of God measured out different mm-hmm. amounts to every person. What do you all think about that? Yeah, I, I like what you said there. It's given by God, empowered by the Spirit, and utilized in the body. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, they are utilized in the body. Um, I don't believe spiritual gifts are given to someone just so they can have a spiritual gift and they can uh, <laughs> use it for themselves to make themselves a great name. You know, like that's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. But mm-hmm. the purpose of spiritual gifts is for them to edify the body and glorify God, right? And you said it, they're not for you. Exactly. The spiritual gifts are not for you. And I think sometimes if you're on the spectrum of, you know, the one side where everybody's trying to unlock their spiritual gifts, what ends up becoming is it's a selfish ambition mm-hmm. of trying yeah. to figure out, well, what does this do for me? And it's actually, hold on, this is not about you. Yeah. This is about other people. And so as you, utilize the gifts that God has given you in the body of Christ, those are to bless other people. I, mm-hmm. I, I think the clearest one to see that is in the gift of edification and exhortation and preaching. I mean, you know, those who have the gift of preaching, you preach two people in a congregation, right? So there's this mutual, like like both the, the one who is exercising that gift is not for themselves, but it's for the listener and for mm-hmm. those who are hearing. It's like, you know, I, I joke around with the congregation, sometimes I don't go home and preach to the mirror, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. th- that doesn't happen. That It's not for building up me. God's used those gifts to build up the body. And yeah. so we should see it as that. Well, and I think that's so good because I think once you start to fall into that rigidity of like trying to find out like each category and like, if I have this, then I don't have this. And you're trying to like make a, make a chart of all the spiritual gifts. Then it's when you get sidetracked. Cause what are you more focused on? You're focused on the gift rather than the one who is giving it to you. Right. And rather than the people who you are to minister to through these gifts. So it's, it's warding against that, but also understanding like, yeah, how am I supposed to steward this gift that has been given to me? Yeah. So 
I would say too, just as we kind of wrap up that one little piece here, like from Romans 12, um, Galatians five, things like that. I would say too, that like when you get saved, that's when you, if you want to, in a sense, when the Holy spirit of God comes into your life and regenerates you and you're, you're a new creation in Christ. Right. So I believe God does give us these gifts through his saving grace. However, I do believe that they are, if you want to use this term, discovered, uh, empowered, found out, um, utilized better, uh, perfected. I believe they're perfected as we walk in the spirit of God. And as Certainly. we walk closely with him, he will show us these giftings. He will right. bring us to these realizations and then he will help us perfect them or grow in them. If you want to use that terminology, but come to complete understanding and knowledge and utility or utilization, excuse me, of those gifts. But you, it is, it's going back to salvation because before Christ, everything was about you mm-hmm. and it was about your selfish ambitions and your pursuits. And when you come to know Christ and you died to Christ now your life has become about him and serving others. And so uh, once again, it's it's not finding this gift so that somehow it can make me a better person, but it's utilizing Paul's whole argument in Ephesians is because you understand your gift and your role in the body, you are there to help build up his body. So now I think we have to ask the question though, Morgan, that you kind of alluded to, and that is the question of, okay, well, how do I know what I've been gifted to do? Because I think that's the question, right? How do, how do people uh, understand uh, their spiritual gift? Yeah. So I think that there's a, um, there's many ways that you can do it, right? Uh, some people are like, dude, go take this test, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> they didn't have a test in the early church, right? Um, I do believe it starts with a couple of basic things. And I think we're going to allude to a framework here in just a second. But I think before we alluded to the framework, I think it begins with a couple of like super basic things. First of all, if you're not walking in the spirit, I don't believe that you're going to aptly discover your giftings to the best that you could. Mm. I think it starts with who is empowering me, who has given me this gift and walking in close relationship with the Lord. I think that that is primarily the most basic foundational piece. I also believe there's an underlying question to um, to this discussion of spiritual giftings, ministry as a believer, as a Christian minister, um, not a pastor. Uh, remember we said everybody is a minister. <laughs> um, I think that there's an underlying question and it is how can I most effectively fulfill the mission or the mandate that God has given through his word to myself as a disciple of Christ? And I think that that question can help undergird some of the frameworks that we might use to go and discuss these things, because I believe as we're walking in the spirit and as we're missionally focused on the mandate that he has given you say, Stephen, what's that mandate that we would go into all the world and make disciples by teaching them and baptizing them. Right. And so God's heart is for the nation. So as I'm a part of his mission here on this earth, and as I'm a part of his story, how can I most effectively serve him? edify his body and continue in that. And I think that that question can flow out of myself walking in the spirit daily. Mm -hmm. And then I think we're ready to start jumping into some, um, if you want to call it grid works of how to look at this. And I think, I think one that we would probably agree is a good one, uh, would be the acronym shape S H A P E. 
shape. I spelled it correctly. Yes, I'm you so did. proud of myself. Congratulations. Uh, so, um, Morgan. I taught on this a while back and someone came to me and they're like, man, pastor, that's great, but I just wish God would give me a different shape. <laughs> <laughs> and I was oh, like, gosh. oh man, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. So, so Morgan, can you give us the words for the acronym shape? Yes. So the S is spiritual gifts. Yes. Wow, what a surprise. <laughs> um, so then you have H, which is heart. And then in this question that comes with heart is, what is your heart burden for? And and what what makes your heart sort of burn with like desire to do or things, situations that you see where you're like, man, like this really affects me deeply. Hmm. Um, then you look at abilities, which is the letter A. Um, so it's, it's things that um, you are capable of doing and they can be things that you have grown in or things that um, you've always kind of had, um, I think. Um, we can go into a little bit more once I get through these. Um, and then the letter P is personality. This is a big one that I think people often don't take into account when doing their spiritual gift inventory. They don't they they don't look at their personality as much as they should. And sometimes people look at it too much and that, but it, depending on which way you're looking at it, it can be a really good lens to help see what it is that you are gifted in spiritually. And then finally, E is experiences. Yes. So Aaron, can you like walk us through now that we have like kind of an understanding of shape and can you kind of explain to us how this should um, guide us as we're looking into spiritual gifts? Because I mean, the one question I have is like the S is spiritual gifts. So like, how yeah. does that mean, help me? Like, I think that there it's is the a reason why the it's there. Again. But like, right. can you walk us through how this is going to help me as I'm using this as a grid work to look for my spiritual sure. gifts, but then also as I utilize them in ministry and as I work them out yeah. practically. Yeah. So I think the first thing we got to ask and, and begin with is going back to the understanding that if you are in Christ, God has given you a gift and he is, he is, he is, he has gifted you in a way uh, he is going to empower you in a way to serve in his body, to build up his body. And as the body of Christ is fulfilling the mission of God, you're going to be a part of that. So what are the spiritual gifts first? Uh, spiritual gifts. You know, I, I, you can look at the Bible and you can go to different chapters. I, I'd encourage you to go to Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, and read all of those passages and begin to then notice uh, the different types of gifts that, the, uh, that, that Paul describes, right? So in Romans 12, he talks about there's gifts of service, there's gifts of teaching, there's gifts of exhortation, there's gifts of generosity, uh, there's gifts of mercy. And so you begin to read over those gifts. And I think what I have what I would encourage you to do is as you read over those gifts, you begin to think about which, which of those gifts, uh, not only one am I serving or doing already, but what of those things, when I do that, uh, do people say, man, that was an encouragement. That was a blessing to me that helped me. Uh, because what's going to happen is your spiritual gift is always going to benefit others. And so you might think you're really gifted in one thing. Uh, but if, <laughs> if, if that's not being recognized in the body of Christ, then it's probably an indication that it may not be. So wait, you're Go telling ahead. me okay. that in order to see my <laughs> spiritual gift, I actually have to corporately gather with the church. Be involved. Yes. What? Yeah. This is a novel idea. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I think the sometimes, I think sometimes yeah, I am being sarcastic because I think yeah. I think sometimes we have this mentality that Certainly. I'm going to figure out my own spiritual gift. Yeah. 
and I'm going to worship the Lord and I can do all of that comfortably and never be a part of his body. And I think that this is one of the key reasons of why God has given a visible local church. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, let's just say, let's just say hypothetically, you know, you're like the, uh, I don't know, the liver. And uh, (laughs) it's like, okay, well, like, well, you're not going to function if you're just over there lying by yourself. Like that's not helping the body. That's not helping the physical. Got to be in the body. Right. Mm So yeah, I think spiritual gifts underscores the reality that we in Christ are a part of God's body and we're gathering uh, visibly and physically. And through that, there is this mutual edification of ministry. And so once again, if I am serving in through my spiritual gifts and the way that God has gifted me, it is going to build up and benefit others. And I would also argue, so one, it's being recognized by individuals, but then the other thing would be, um, Going along with that, I think when you are are utilizing and fulfilling the gift that God has given you to do, being empowered by the Spirit of God, you're energized in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel fulfilled in that. You you experience the joy mm-hmm. of what it means to serve. And uh, you know it. You know, it, the, you know the Bible talks about it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, and so there's this aspect that we we experience that joy of giving away a, a gift that God has blessed us and given us uh, to serve others. And so I, that's what I would come to on spiritual gifts. I, yeah. I, I, you, you go look at a spiritual inventory test or any of those things, but I don't, like you said, that's not in the first century. That wasn't in the early church. I think you utilize your gifts and how do you know you have a gift? You start getting involved mm-hmm. and you start serving in different ways. And when you when you start serving in a way that, that you begin to realize, man, I feel fulfilled in serving serving in that way, and it is blessing other people, ministering to other people, I think then you begin to understand your spiritual gift. Yeah. I would also, wouldn't you say too, that if I'm walking in the spirit and as those gifts are being recognized and discovered, wouldn't you argue that God will give me a heart for that spiritual gift exactly. that he will draw mm-hmm. over time. It might not be initially. So yeah. let, let's um, let's use an example. I'll use a personal example. I think spiritual gifts lead right into your heart burden. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think they're really tied together. But yeah. I don't think they always happen simultaneously. Sure. So growing up, um, I had a, and, and this is going to go down into, so I'm kind of pointing out some holes in the shape um, thing. I think it's a great thing and it's great questions to ask. But for instance, um, a spiritual gift that I would have now Um, if I were to look, would be teaching, right? Well, as I was in high school and whatnot, I had a deathly fear of like anything to do with like being in front of people, like anything, whether it's like deathly fear, (laughs) like whether it was five people or 500 people, I would be like scared to death. Oh my goodness. I couldn't do it. I would not be, I was not a fan. And, um, however, what God did over time was I got saved um, earlier in high school, late middle school, um, and God grew in me this spiritual gift. And as I walked in the spirit, I discovered some of it. And so I put it in some of it into practice and he gave me a heart over time for it. Now, I love teaching like I am energized by it. I have a heart for it. It's something that um, God has used, I believe, in some people's lives because that's something that's been recognized. And then also he's used it in my life and he's helped me through it. And so I think sometimes we want to 
and I'm not saying that this is not a great acronym to look at your life of how are our spiritual gifts working in my life and then how are they working out in ministry. But I do think that you have to be um, looking at your life in a picture of this is this is not always simultaneous. God might have given me a spiritual gifting. I think you're getting at the fact, though, that as people, we grow. Yes. And so ultimately, as we, you grow in your relationship with Christ and as you grow as a person, you're also growing in these things. You're growing yes. in your understanding of your giftings. Uh, even your heart burden. I mean, I think that's a that's one that I would say to think about. What you know, the the easiest way I think about this is what makes you upset. <laughs> and people are like, "Well, what do you mean? What makes you upset? No, yeah. what what makes you burnt? What makes you frustrated? Like what what when when it's not done rightly or not done well or not done a certain way or things are overlooked? Like where do you see like there you're, you're frustrated by that? You would want to see that like be different. And that's I think that reveals to you your burden, like mm-hmm. your burden your heart uh, for people and your heart for things. And so, you know, we see that we think about our abilities, you know, abilities would be to simply, you know, like, what can you do, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't believe a spiritual gift is a talent, uh, but God can use people's talents uh, in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see that read Romans 16 for a minute and look at the different ways that people use their talents. And then you're right, Morgan, I think personality plays um, a, a part of it. I think I would say in our day-to-day, personality plays probably too much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a heavily uh, overemphasis on personality and personality mm-hmm. tests and Enneagrams and all these things. It's like, Tell okay, me well, who they, I am of yeah, All of that. And it's like, hold on a second. Well, yeah, your personality does come into play, but first and foremost, it should be about your identity in Christ. Yes, because mm-hmm. if we're not careful, we can use our personality as a crutch to sin in our lives. Mm-hmm. That's just my personality. Well, I've I literally mean, heard someone say that before. That's just right. my person. No, Excuse that's it. sin in your life. That's <laughs> not your personality. You're in sin. Yeah. And if that's not something we can, it's, so for instance, if I had depended on my personality in high school, I, and not the Holy Spirit and not counsel in my life, I would never have grown in my spiritual gifting like the Lord would have intended for mm-hmm. me. And you can't use your personality as a crutch in life. Yeah. You just can't. Personality should be one of the guidelines, but not the lens to which you're looking through this entire aspect of spiritual gifts. Like our lens, like we established at the very beginning, is identity in Christ. Sure. And yeah. Let me give you an example. I think this might be an example like this. I don't know if this is a helpful or hurtful example, but, uh, you know, you could take two people in a, a congregation and they both have the same gift but they're going to exercise that and utilize that very differently. And the way they're going to utilize it differently is going to be based off of their heart abilities, personalities, Mm -hmm. and experiences. Mm -hmm. So um, just take, for instance, you could take two pastors that have both been called by God into the ministry, um, both who have the gifts of edification, the gifts of teaching. And yet you look at both of those men and what you'll see is that well, they probably, and they very much do, have different hearts and burdens for things. Their abilities is different, even in terms of their personality and their personality and the way that they uh, relate to people. And so, you know, I think what you can see then in a very visible way is seeing, okay, well, you know, pastors in ministry, but not all pastors are are exercising that role in the exact same very function, right? Because it's, 
their spiritual gift is being utilized, but it's flowing through their heart, their abilities, their personality, even their experiences. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, like they're building up the body of Christ. They're equipping the saints. This is where I think we need to just, you know, shift a little bit and, and talk back about where Stephen was talking about that the the emphasis today, so much of it has been placed on vocational ministers mm-hmm. to ministry. Whereas you read Ephesians four and Paul's like so clear. He's like uh, these teachers, these pastors, the apostles were given to the church to equip the church for the works of ministry, for, for exactly what we're talking about today. So why is there such a misunderstanding about that in the, our society today? I think it begins with a misunderstanding of what ministry is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People think that in order to do ministry, you have to be in the ministry. Okay. I'm using Christian terms here. Okay. So if you're listening to our podcast and you didn't grow up in church, you might just be like, that just went right over your head. Okay. But in, in Christianity, we've come so we've come up with these terms about, well, I'm in the ministry. Okay. So you're telling me you're a Christian and I've been guilty of using that term before. Right. But it's just like, what do you mean by that? And I think there's a misunderstanding of what ministry is. Ministry is when we are serving God and utilizing our spiritual gifts and letting them work out in the body of Christ. That's what ministry is. And all of us have been called to do that. And so if we have a misunderstanding of what that is, and for instance, a a key misunderstanding, I think in our American culture of what that is, is the classic, well, um, that's why we hire the pastors or that's why we hire the staff members, right? At church. And it's like, okay, well, do they have a specific function and job description many times? Yes, but they are a minister just like you're a minister in the body of Christ. And they might have different functions, giftings, and responsibilities, but you both have a calling as a minister, as a Christian to serve the Lord. And I think if we get off on that, we can misunderstand um, who ministers how do we minister and so on? Um, a question that I ask, because uh, obviously working with teens, they always want to know what they're going to do with their lives. And sometimes they get way ahead of themselves. Uh, but generally, if there's uh, somebody who comes to me and they're like, man, I just don't know what to do. Um, and this has happened. I, I think God might want me you know, to serve him vocationally, or um, he might want me to do this or that. The question that I always ask them is, is, hey, take a step back real quick look at your giftings, your abilities, all that kind of stuff that we just talked about. But then ask yourself this question, how can I use what God has given me to most effectively fulfill the mission that he has given me in my life? For you, you might come to the conclusion that based on my giftings, abilities, and all these other things, that might be vocationally saying, I am not going to go work a secular job. I am going to vocationally give every single moment of my time to the church and to this and that and the other based on my giftings and abilities and all these things, experiences and all this stuff. Some people might not be able to say that. They might have to say effectively, I'm going to be most effective being in a uh, in a workforce environment and then serving the Lord still in his church. You're saying and pastors don't work? I'm just kidding. In the secular <laughs> workforce environment. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm I think just kidding. This, no, but because there's the joke, you know, I think pastors this, work one hour a week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, which is not true. Um, I'm just messing with you Come follow us around sometime. I'm and just you can, messing with you. Um, That's not true. You can be with us at midnight when we get to go and make um, emergency visits and stuff, okay? But, uh, but the secular workforce that is not in the church, a different workforce, 
workforce, but you're, you're saying, man, I think I can be most effective in that environment, reaching people, bringing them and discipling them. Awesome. Certainly. Go do it, man. Certainly. Like go for it. But we're all ministers. Well, I think what you're picking up here and I'll, and I'll, and I'll maybe clarify this a little bit. I think what you're picking up is there's a difference between a ministry and a gift Mm-hmm. All right. So the gifts are what God has given you, empowered you to be, uh, to serve in that way in his body. And what I encourage people who come to know Christ, I encourage them this way. I say, hey, think about your shape. Think about the way that God has gifted you, what you're burdened for, how has he uh, how could God possibly use the abilities that you have and your experiences and then find two things. Find a ministry inside the church. Uh, what is something in the church that you can serve in? How can you serve in that way? Hmm. And then secondly, what is your mission outside the church? Mm-hmm. Uh, because our ministry, it flows out. Uh, I mean, our, our, our gifts are to be utilized in ministry for the body. But ultimately, our ministry in the body does not stop there. It moves out of that into uh, missions. And so um, So, I think those are two questions that every person needs to ask. What is my ministry inside the church and what is my mission outside the church? So you're telling me then that ministry flows out of gift. It should. And and if if I'm following a biblical model, my ministry should flow out of the giftings that God has given me. Yeah. So I think you to identi- be most effective. identify how God has gifted you, identify how he is equipped you and stewarded you with these investments because God has done that in every single person. And ultimately God wants a return on his investment one day. So God's gifted you these gifts. He's invested into you these things. You are his greatest investment in the sense of what he has done. Mm-hmm. Now he wants you to utilize that to better his body and to reach the world. And, and I think you begin to understand, okay, then I need a ministry in the church. I need to, have, I need to be at church so I can have a ministry at church and I can be involved in that way. But then secondly, what is my mission outside of the church? Mm-hmm. And remember, spiritual gifts are for the betterment of the body. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not to be operated in the sense of like out of – what, what I mean is they're first and foremost yes. a, a gifting for the church. And when the church is being effective, when the church is being built up in love and fulfilling all they are to be – that will result in mission. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say mission is the overflow of when that's happening? Certainly. Like Certainly. If, if the church is effectively building up one another, which by the way, maybe there's some frustration as you're listening right now. Cause you're like, Hmm, <laughs> like none of that applies at all. Right. To me, because I'm just frustrated every time I'm ministering, maybe you're not ministering in a way that you've been gifted and there's some frustration there. But I believe that when the church is effectively ministering together and building one another up through their spiritual gifts, mission is just going to overflow out and it's going to spill out. And all these giftings, yes, they're going to influence outside the body, but that's going to be an overflow Mm -hmm. of what's happened in there. Yeah. And I think, and I think just going back to what you said, Aaron, this is sort of um, trying to flip the script on what generally people think of as ministry this um you know it happens inside and outside the church it's not ministry is not just you coming and participating on we, a sunday morning during the hour you know that you're there but it it it, it really is like i i preach so much like lifestyle you know like it's all about like who you are and how you're living your life but this so much flows into that you know ministry is not like you're ministering all the time ministry ministry is not 
volunteer responsibilities. Right. Ministry. Amen. No, 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 but, but, but we, the church says that today. Hey, mm-hmm. join our music ministry. Join our Awana ministry. And it's just something that you which, do which, just for the time that you're there. You which know? I understand why. I mean, we even here at our church do that. But we're, we're, we're trying to show people, hey, this is a way that you can serve. This is a way that you can utilize your gifts. But people could have, you know, they could be involved in a number of different responsibilities but how are they utilizing their gift to minister? How are they using their gift to minister to people, to build up the body of Christ? And then how are they utilizing their gift to, to, to help mobilize the church for mission outside of the church? Because ultimately, what's the point of these gifts? I mean, the point of these gifts all point back to Jesus. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide He's, this is the passage after he talks about in chapter 12 about gifts, chapter 13. Now he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So why has God saved you? Why has he you know, redeemed you and put you in his body? Why do you get the joy of serving in this way? Why has he gifted you in all of these things? He's gifted you so that the point would always point people back to Jesus and God's love uh, for them. And, uh, and that's exciting, you know, cause it's like, once again, this isn't about you, this is about him and how do, how do you serve in a way that makes much of, makes much of him. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you've heard us talk about on the show today that you would like to know more about, we would love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at wherewelandorg You can also find us on Facebook by searching Where We Land. We post a number of, of exciting things and different things that you will not find uh, necessarily on the recordings for the podcast. Uh, there's also some bonus content if you go to our website website at whereweland.org. On our next episode, we're going to be continuing and really concluding our conversation of what is the church uh, with a final episode on church discipline. We hope you join us then. 